Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here's what God's word says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus, verse 3, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Let's pray together, and we're going to study those verses. God, thank you for the people who are gathered here this morning. God, I know we say this a lot, but we realize that in a room like this, all kind of experiences, all kind of backgrounds come together. Some people have had a great week. Some people feel like it's the worst week they've had in a long time. God, we just bring all of these emotions into a room like this, and together, we are able to look to Jesus. And so, God, I pray that this morning, through Scripture, that every one of us together would set our eyes and our lives on Jesus Christ. God, show us more of what that looks like, more of what that means. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a question for you. As you get started this morning, as we get started this morning, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, this is a good question if you're in elementary school or filling out your little kindergarten book. This is also a good question if you're 40 or 65 or 80. Like, what, what do you want to be uh, when, when you grow up? So wide open question. I guess you could talk to your neighbor, but I'm just going to move to the next slide, okay? So what do you want to be when you grow up? I found a list online of what careers are winning with small children right now. And we all have a sigh. Our world's in trouble. Uh, so... No longer is astronaut or teacher leading the list for small children who answer this. Kids who answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up now, are mainly answering social media influencer, blogger, or YouTube star. Come on, Emmaus kids. Like, we, we've got this. We, we, can, we can be astronauts and teachers as well on, on a list like this. Now, why does it matter what you want to be when you grow up? Because, here's what we know about life. Every person needs a vision for what their life is going to be. And every person needs a pathway that is going to lead them to that vision. When you think about, what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want my life to be like? There's a vision out in front of you of what that career is like. Or maybe you know somebody who has that career. You know somebody who's lived a life and you say, I want that life. I want that job. I want that success. There's a vision out in front of us because we know if we don't have a vision, if we don't have something in front of us, we'll chase anything. You know, we'll go all through life chasing things. We need a vision in front of us. It doesn't matter if you're a person or a church. You need a vision in front of you that says, that's what I want to be. That's where I want to go. And you need a pathway that will get you there. Because otherwise, you'll try anything in life. And what gets churches in trouble a lot of times is they have a vision for what they want to be and where they want to go, but the pathway is they'll do all the world's things to get there. 
or we have a vision for where we want to go with our lives individually, but then we'll go about that in a way that just bulldozes everybody in the process or uses people to get where we want to go. Students, in your life, you need a vision and a pathway. Empty nest adults, in your life, you need a vision and a pathway. And you say, okay, I get it, Owen. You're about to tell me that Jesus is the vision for my life, and I'm supposed to live toward him. You better believe I am. That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. That's 100% what I'm going to tell you. And God's word has so much to say about that. Like, let's look at what happens here in scripture, all right? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. The vision for our life, the what for our life that drives us is looking to Jesus. God's word says, therefore, holy brothers, and this is one of those hey guys type of brothers, like it's brothers and sisters, it's all the people together. So, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. The word therefore the joke that you guys know, we see therefore, we ask, what is it therefore? What's it pointing to? Therefore is pointing back to chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews. Chapter 1 of Hebrews is about the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is fully God. Chapter 2 of Hebrews is about the humanity of Jesus, that he is fully human. And so therefore, based on who Jesus is and what he came to do, the author of Hebrews says, look to him consider him. This word up here, consider, is a word for looking intently at something, for setting your devotion on something. You think about that old hymn, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. This is the call that you would give your devotion and your worship and your love and your life fully to Jesus. In the morning, look to Jesus. In the evening, look to Jesus. In the pain, look to Jesus. In the joy, look to Jesus. That we will look to him for everything in life. When we gather as a church, we always ask the question, like, why go to church? Like, what, what matters about going to church? When we gather as a church, one of the things we are doing is we are helping one another look to Jesus. Students, you can take a hard look at your friendships about whether or not the people around you are helping you look to Jesus or not. Are they pointing you? Are they calling you to consider Jesus? That when we gather as a church, you may come in today and it's been hard. And it's been a while since you thought about the Lord. It's been a while since you really took a look at your life spiritually. The gift of the church is you get around a group of people who say we're all going to look to Jesus because we need him. And we're going to do that together. When you go out on mission, so go students trips, Emmaus trips, Emmaus people that are going to work tomorrow. When you go on mission, a mission trip, a mission opportunity, a gospel conversation, all you're trying to do is get that person to consider Jesus. Like you're trying to take someone who's living for all kinds of other things, who has this other vision for their life, and you're trying to kindly humbly, lovingly, help that person consider Jesus. Like, have you ever considered Jesus? And that person might say back to you, students, this might happen to you this week on a Go Students experience. You go out and you talk to somebody about Jesus, and their response to you is, why? Why is Jesus a big deal? 
And you say, I'm glad you asked, because look at God's word, middle of verse 1. Why is Jesus a big deal? Why do we consider Jesus? Because he is the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, speaking of God the Father, who appointed him to this task, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. All right, one of these Bible verses that just has so many cool things going on. It says up here that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. What does that mean? Almost certainly in the early church, what that meant is at the time of a person's baptism, they would make a confession about what they believed, about why they were being baptized. One of the cool things that Cody uh, has instituted for our church family when he came as our student pastor is that when people get baptized at Emmaus now, we ask them, what is your confession? And they respond back, Jesus is Lord. The confession that a person made at their baptism was, this is where I'm looking for life. This is where I'm looking for hope and salvation. Well, what is the confession here? That Jesus is apostle and high priest. And you say, that's an odd way to describe Jesus. Like, what, what's going on there? Well, here's what's going on there. The word apostle means somebody who was sent out to do something, sent out for a purpose. It's very similar to the idea of a prophet, but it's somebody who was sent out for a purpose. So Jesus was sent from heaven to earth by God for a purpose. What's the role of a high priest? Well, in the ancient world, a priest was someone who represented the people to God. They didn't know, how can I get to God? And so you had a priest who made that possible. So watch this. What's happening here in this verse? Jesus, our confession, is that he came from heaven to earth so that we would know God and his word and his purposes. And as the priest, he is able to take us from earth to heaven to be reunited with God in relationship with him. Our confession is Jesus is Lord and Savior. He came from heaven to earth and take us from earth to heaven. That's what's going on there. And he was faithful. He did that work and you can trust him. Some people in life, you look at them and you think, man, I want to be that person. And then their life just takes a side turn and you're like, whoa, time out. Don't get to know your heroes. Man, don't meet your heroes. You know, sometimes it goes all wrong. Jesus, however, was faithful. He did what he said he was going to do. You can trust him. He is the apostle and high priest. He is Lord. He is Savior. Look to him. He will give you life. Now, there's this language up here. He was faithful to him who appointed him, so he was faithful to God's purpose for his life, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Here's one of those places in the book of Hebrews where the New Testament connects to the Old Testament. So in your mind, in your mind, take Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, and in your mind draw two lines back to the Old Testament, because I want to give you two verses that are behind this verse. The first verse is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35, okay? So behind the book of Hebrews are two Old Testament passages for this idea. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. God is speaking here after Eli and his sons have not been faithful to their job as priest. He says, I, God, will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Well, that would be cool if we had a verse in the New Testament that talked about being faithful and a priest. 
aha, we do, being a little sarcastic there, we do, Hebrews chapter 3, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and what else? I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. What do you have there in the Old Testament? You have a promise from God that a priest will come who is faithful to the calling that he's been giving and that he will establish a house for God that will never end. That's good news. Now, second verse, Numbers, chapter 12, chapter 12, chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. If there is a prophet among you, this is after some people have turned against Moses. It's going to be a verse about Moses and people have turned against him. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision or in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak directly. So here you have another verse in the Old Testament that talks about someone who is going to come and be faithful and establish the house of God. Okay? With that idea, look at the next verse in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Okay, in the book of Hebrews... Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Adam. Now, Jesus is better than Moses. There's this comparison that's being made between Moses and Jesus, and it's seen, we see here, that Jesus is better, that he is greater. Now, does the author make this comparison in order to downplay Moses? No, he's not downplaying Moses. It would be almost impossible for us to realize how popular Moses was in the first century. The people that would receive the book of Hebrews, they thought Moses was the Taylor Swift, Mr. Beast, Shohei Otani, C.S. Lewis. I don't know. Like he was, Moses was the deal. He was even by some people considered greater than the angels. Moses was a key figure. Jesus is better. Now, when you see a verse like this, and you're like, ah, it's just not clicking with me what's going on in that verse. If you've been in my wife's Sunday school class, girls, uh, or if you've taken a Bible study with her, you know one of the best ways to untangle a hard verse is to make a chart. <laughs> All else fails, make a chart, and you can untangle that verse. So what's going on in verses like this? Well, what you have is you have this analogy that's being set up. You have this comparison that's being set up in these verses. As God is to all created things, which everybody would say God is greater and worthy of more honor than the things he has created. In the same way, a builder has greater honor than the building itself. I reached out to one of our architects this week in church, just said, hey, talk to me about this, this idea. An architect is trying to carry out the purposes for the design, there's a reasons behind this, and they're always thinking about the health and safety and welfare and all these codes and regulations that are involved. They have greater honor in the work that they're doing than the actual building itself. Jesus, therefore, has greater honor than Moses. This same type of comparison is made in the next verse. Look in verse 5. You get the same type of comparison that's made in, in verse 5. 
It says in verse 5, going into the first part of verse 6, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now, I don't have a chart for you on the screen. You can make your own chart really easily here in your, uh, in your Bible or your group. But the comparison is Moses to Christ. Moses was faithful in the house. Christ is faithful over the house. Moses worked in the house as a servant. Christ was over the house as a son, the one who would be the heir of all things. Therefore, Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus deserves our devotion and our worship and our lives. But don't miss, don't miss how Moses was meant to point us to Christ. When you read your Old Testament, those aren't just stories about how to live a better life. When you read your Old Testament, those are stories that point us to Jesus. So think about Moses' life for a minute. Moses was born in Egypt under an evil ruler who wanted to kill all of the baby boys in that area. What do we know about Jesus' birth? He was born at a time that there was an evil ruler who wanted to kill all the baby boys of that time. Where did Jesus and his family go to escape that? They went down into Egypt so that Jesus himself would be rescued out of Egypt. Think about the birth of Moses. Moses' birth becomes a picture of the exodus that will happen later. Moses' birth is this movement from death to life. So when Moses was born, in order to protect him, he was placed in this little boat. And if, if you've been to Sunday school or vacation Bible school, usually that little boat that Moses was placed in and put him on the reeds, usually that boat is open on the top. Almost certainly it was not open on the top. When Moses was placed in this little boat to be protected, it was almost certainly an enclosed box because the word for that box is used two times in the Bible. It's used in Moses' birth, and it's also the same word for the ark that Noah and his family went into. So the ark that preserved Noah and his family through the flood is the same word that's used to describe the little boat that Moses went into as a baby. It could be a tomb or it could be a womb, all right? T-O-M-B or W-O-M-B. It could look like a tomb, like he was being placed in this box. It was really a womb to protect him. And then he is taken out of the water. Think about all the places in the Bible where God rescues his people through the water. Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. You have all these chaotic waters at the beginning of Genesis, and God draws out the dry land. The flood story. All of these chaotic waters that threaten to drown Moses and his family, or Noah and his family, and God draws them out onto dry land. Moses, where does he take the people of Israel? Through the chaotic waters, through the sea, and delivers them. Jesus' ministry, he goes into the water of baptism, and he's drawn out to go into the wilderness. And then he goes up onto a mountain. Who also went through the water into the wilderness up on the mountain? Moses did. Through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, onto the mountain, receives the word of God. What does Jesus do? Through the waters of baptism, into the wilderness and overcomes the devil. Up onto a mountain 
where he doesn't receive the word of God, he gives the Sermon on the Mount. He gives the law of God to the people. Moses was a mediator. He was an intercessor. He stood between the people and God. Students, those of you who went to Falls Creek this summer, there's one God and one mediator between man and God, and that's the man Jesus Christ, that he is a mediator. Who in Scripture before Jesus was the ultimate mediator? It was Moses. What Moses did, what Moses set in uh, motion, Jesus fulfilled. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. He is the one we give our devotion to. So point number one is he's the vision. What is the vision for our lives? That we would look to Jesus. That we would look to him and know that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. That he is the good and perfect and greater Moses. That he is the one who makes possible life and salvation. If your life is in shambles, don't look to Moses, look to Jesus. Consider Jesus and who he is and what he has done for you. And then... In verse 6, there's this really cool phrase down there that says, if we look to Jesus, we are his house. So not only do you have a person to look to, but you have a vision for what your life is supposed to be. What is our life supposed to be? We are supposed to be a part of the household of God. We are supposed to be a part of the city and the temple and the family of God that he is establishing. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. God, make, you, make me a part of your house. Make me a part of your people. The question is, how do I get there? Well, most of the answer to that question comes next week, but I want to give you just a little bit. If you look back at the beginning of verse 1, how do we get there? What is the pathway to becoming the people of God? Back at the beginning of verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling. So the first way to get there is through holiness. That we would be holy brothers and sisters. We would be people who are set apart for God's purposes. Remember this. The book of Hebrews is being written to a group of people, many of whom are being kicked out of their family, kicked out of their home because they're following Jesus. Some of you here have that story. You chose to follow Jesus, and your family didn't support that. They, they turned their backs on you. The truth of Scripture is that when you follow Jesus, you become a part of the family of God. That you become a part of a group of people who are connected, not because of what they've done, but because of what God has done for them. That he has made them holy. And it says that we are sharing in, we are partakers of a heavenly calling. This is a famous word in the Old Testament, in the, in the ancient world, for working toward a common purpose without being in competition with the people around you. Think about being a part of a church, or think about this Go Students group that's with us this week. All these different churches coming together, working toward a common purpose that if these students were connected with their school, competing with another school in sports, they could hate each other, but they come together as a part of a church, and they are working toward the same purpose, not in competition, but as sharers, as cooperating toward this goal. And then down in verse 6, it says, We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This confidence, this freedom that we have in the Lord, this boasting in the hope that we have of a heavenly calling, what Jesus has made possible for us.
Let me ask you this question. We're getting ready to wrap up in just a second. Let me ask you a question here. What is your dream house? All right? So we ask at the beginning, what do you want to be when you grow up? Question number two, what is your dream house? Students, kids, the answer to that first question has a big impact on the second question, okay? <laughs> uh, whether or not, you, what do you want to be when you grow up and how that impacts your, your dream house. Also, students, kids, sometimes aiming for your dream house doesn't quite get you where you thought it was going to get you. So just fair warning on, on some of that as well. But uh, what is your dream house? This is a fun conversation to have, have with other people. What is God's dream house? What kind of house does God build? What does the church look like when God builds that church? God's dream house of a people from every tribe and ton and nation, young and old, men and women gathered together, worshiping him, enjoying his presence and his fellowship, devoted to Jesus, trusting Jesus, confessing Jesus, following Jesus, doing their work, not in their own strength, but empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, building their lives on his word, trusting his word above anything else, people who are gathered together as a family, gathered together in holiness, loving and caring for one another, gathered together to work together, to work hard together toward the same common goal, a place where leaders are set up not to be served, but to serve, where leaders are honored but not worshiped, where people are always trying to point everyone else toward Jesus. Think about your home. Think about where you live. God's dream home is a place where people dwell in peace and joy. A place, you walk into some people's house and you come in and you just feel like, I can rest here. I can take a deep breath here. I know I'm safe here. That's the house that God establishes. God establishes a place where there's hope, where what you see right now is not the end of the story. God gathers his people together, and friends, he is building this house. And even better, we are his house. When we look to Jesus and we hold on to hope, when we realize that he is doing something among us that is greater than anything we could ever plan or strategize or come up with on our own, and my call to you this morning is look to Jesus and hold on to that hope. Look to Jesus and say, I'm going to commit my life to being part of the house of God. This morning, as we get ready to wrap up, during our final psalm, if you need someone to pray with you, if you have questions about being a follower of Jesus, let me invite you to come up during this final psalm. We are going to sing about Jesus being better. And if you're here this morning and say, I have never devoted my life to Jesus. I have never become a Christian. This morning, during this final song, just come up. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Let me also encourage you to ask yourself the question, how can I help others see that Jesus is better? People around us who are living for all kinds of other things, how can God use you to point someone to Jesus, to help them look to Jesus this week? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament, how all of those incredible stories in the Old Testament are meant to point us to Jesus. And God, we are people 
who chase after so many different things. God, our little squirrel personalities come out, and we just chase after everything in life. We live distracted lives, everything that gets our attention, except Jesus, who is most important. And you bring us together as the church to remind us to look to Jesus. We need people around us. We need brothers and sisters. We need partners in the gospel who point us to Jesus. And God, we want to be your house. We're thankful for nice homes. We're thankful for church buildings, but God, that's not what you're building. You are building a people who love you and love one another. God, would you make us that kind of people? Not just here at Emmaus, but connected together as the body of Christ throughout the world. And God, we are committed to that because Jesus is better. And we believe that, and we want to continue to believe that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.